Welcome back to That's All I Have to Say About That. What a week it's been. I am exhausted. There is so much to say. We are 1,237 days into the presidency of Donald J. Trump and 146 days away from the 220, uh, 2020 presidential election. So please check us out on uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter at uh, All I Have to Say Podcast and uh, on our website at all I have to say dot net. So, Raven, <laughs> what's going on? Yeah, I, <laughs> I mean, every week um, of this, again, administration and scare quotes um, has been uh, a week to remember. Um, I just have been thinking a lot about, you know, when Trump was elected, uh, many people who didn't vote for him and then also people who did vote for him um, said that those of us who were terrified were overreacting, um, that it wasn't going to be that bad, uh, that the presidency was going to have a normalizing effect on him. Um, And, you know, uh, (laughs) I mean, I don't know what's normal behavior for Trump, but... uh, Actually, I think I do know what's normal behavior for Trump, and it's extremely erratic and abnormal. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I knew it was going to be bad. I didn't realize how bad, but, I mean, I'm not really in any way surprised. And, yeah, I think, I think a lot of people thought that the mechanics of government and the realities of being president were going to you know, ameliorate any of his, like, insanity. Or remember that uh, Ivanka was going to have mm. a calming effect on him? That was, mm-hmm. that was hilarious. That's uh, pretty special, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. So, so something that's been in the news a lot lately is, uh, you know, with the, the protests after uh, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor's murder by the cops, has been this, the, uh, the idea that's been floating around for, for a while, for a long time, but now it's really gaining traction to defund the police. So let's, let's talk a little bit about the, 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 even the idea of, of defunding. Um, well, I think um, first we need to talk about why the police force has become militarized or how it's become militarized. Right. Um, and the fact that aside from the militarization of the police force, police officers are often expected to engage in the provision of social services. Um, So the thing is, aside from Trump being Trump, there's a 40-year history of defunding local, state, and federal uh, programs that started under the Gipper, uh, America's 40th president, Ronald Reagan, Um, who announced his candidacy for president, for the presidency, um, in Philadelphia, Mississippi, uh, which is extremely uh, significant, given that three civil rights workers, James Cheney, Michael Schwerner, and Michael Goodman, were murdered there um, during the Freedom Summer of 64 for trying to register African Americans to vote. So when Reagan announced his candidacy, his speech was about uh, states' rights. 
um, which has been one of the quintessential debates throughout American history, right? Um, this debate about shapes, uh, states' rights, excuse me, um, had shaped our constitutional de uh, development, and it shaped debates about civil liberties and civil rights, and obviously state states' rights, but the states' rights to treat citizens differently based on racial categorizations um, ever since. So Reagan um, was basically saying, you know, after the changes that happened in the 60s and 70s um, in regard to the legislation of civil rights, that the federal government um, was going to remove itself from using federal dollars to support local and state programming. Right. Yeah, I, I always uh, heard, you know, growing up in the South, you know, they always talked about the Civil War was about states' rights. And I was always like, yeah, whether states had the rights to keep slaves, to decide whether to uh, keep slavery. But yeah, and undermining the welfare state has taken place, as you said, starting 40 years ago in, in both Democratic and Republican uh, administrations. But Reagan, you know, I agree with you, was definitely sending a dog whistle to those in the know by announcing his candidacy there. And, you know, this, this whole states' rights thing is also a dog whistle. Like, you hear that, like, you know, like, like that's that what they're, they're, they're hearkening back to, you know, the, this argument that's a BS thing from the beginning. By focusing on states' rights, he was indicating, you know, that the government could change or restructure the re redistribution uh, from the federal level to the states. And this had an effect on police departments um, in that it placed, you know, it placed extra burdens on police as well as in, uh, increased funding for the militarization of, of uh, police departments all over the country. So today, we want to focus on, on this Reagan's reorganization of the federal government, the slashing of funding, for example, of mental health facilities and services nationwide, which pretty much almost disappeared during the Reagan administration, the rent, the, and then the uh, role that the, end, the Cold War played on the militarization of the police force, and of course, 9-11, you know, which made things even, even worse. So... So, Raven, Raven, let's talk, let's start talking about the mental health areas uh, that changed under Reagan. Um, so, I think one of the really important things is that um, in 1980, before the presidential election, uh, Carter and Congress passed the Mental Health Services Act of 1980, um, which provided grants to communities uh, to create mental health centers. So this was um, something that the federal government um, decided to legislate, right, where they would provide, as I just said, grants to communities to design mental health services that met the needs of their specific communities. So it's interesting because it is actually, in a sense, giving states and local communities the authority to design programs to meet their needs, right? It's right. not like a one-size-fits-all um, federal program. You have to have mental health facilities or mental institutions, as we used to call them, um, that look like this. 
so when Reagan was inaugurated in 1981, he and Congress repealed most of the law. Um, the law was considered to be a landmark legislation in mental health care policy. Um, so this also paved the way for increasing America's homeless population, as well as increasing the number of mentally ill people mm -hmm. uh, living on the streets. And um, as we just said, you know, uh, reduce the services available to them. Um, I think as an aside, it's interesting to think about the fact that Trump essentially did the same thing with health care in general when he you know, and Congress uh, attempted to appeal, repeal uh, the Affordable Care Act, right? That was one of the first things that he did. Right. Um, yeah. And I think it's hilarious, too, that every time there's a mass shooting, they're like, well, well, we, well the problem is health and mental health care, not guns. And it's like, yeah, but you also slash mental health care severely. So there you go. Uh, so, so by reversing the Mental Health Systems Act, the Reagan administration, obviously, the slack was was taken up by the police. You know, there's uh, mentally ill people; they were let out of the state facilities and federally funded facilities and put on the streets. You know, police are not equipped to do that. You know, they have a six month training program they, they're they're not social workers they're not mental health professionals um they don't really know how to deal with it and you know raven and i can tell you uh, living in new york city there's a lot of mentally ill people on the street not just homeless but in the homeless population but you know everywhere so this right around this time is also when the war on drugs quote unquote ramped up right so both of these things change the work of police force. So releasing people with mental health issues onto the streets of American cities put police in the position of being social workers. And the drug war made the policing increasingly violent, um, which we, we saw starting uh, right there in the 80s um, with the, the increase of, of the drug uh, trafficking in the country and the violence that came with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And as you said, um, the war on drugs, um, which was started under Nixon, but ramped up under Reagan, um, increased uh, the violence associated uh, with policing tactics. Police officers were often in SWAT gear um, when they attempted to pursue suspects. They kicked down doors ransacked homes, endangering the lives of everybody inside um, during pre-dawn raids. Um, they also were allowed to rummage through cars for drug contraband, uh, warrantless, um, which is invasive and degrading. Um, so, you know, race pl plays a huge role here, especially as we know um, that penalties for crack were harsher than they were for cocaine and that African-Americans are more likely to be convicted of crimes and receive longer sentences than white Americans. Um, so I don't know, it's interesting because Reagan is one of America's most beloved presidents um, right. and despised. <laughs> and he really helped to change policing by making it more violent, as well as change the role of police in communities. Um, 
and increased racial uh, racial brutality in policing, um, and began a trajectory which has led us to the very moment that we're living in today. Yeah, and I think I think you know you mentioned the war on drugs starting under Nixon and but really ramping up with. Uh, with Reagan, and it reminds me that in '68, after the uh, the uh, the riots that happened in in Chicago, that uh, Nixon kind of used that as a "I'm the law and order uh, president," going to be the law and order president, and that helped him win. And I think Reagan really continued that rhetoric. But yes, course, he did. Absolutely. So Reagan, he also implemented a lot of America's foreign policy. That was his big thing, you know, which uh, in part facilitated the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. But that affected policing too, right? Yes. Um, so when Bill Clinton, America's 42nd president, was elected, the Cold War was effectively over. The Soviet Union had collapsed. Um, so where was all of the money going to go that had gone into the military industrial complex? Where were the weapons manufacturers and chemical companies going to sell their wares? Um, mm -hmm. In part, <laughs> that went to police departments. Uh, President Clinton's first um, military spending plan um, sent Congress a budget for $263.4 billion in defense. Uh, for the fiscal year of 1994. Um, and it also reduced troop uh, strength to a level not seen since the Korean War, um, even though it did keep major weapon systems intact. Um, according to documents released from the Pentagon, Clinton re recommended spending $12 billion less than former President George H.W. Bush had proposed for the previous year. Um, so the first installment in the plan was to spend $88 billion less for defense over the next four years um, than what the uh, Republican um, administration had recommended. So that's right. a big, you know, decrease, right? So the Office of Community-Oriented Policing Services, or COPS, <laughs> was established uh, through the Violent Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994. So the organization falls under the, the Department of Justice, and the idea is to enhance the performance of police departments through funding for research, training, technical assistance, and so forth. Um, now, according to the organization's mission statement, the group works to bridge the gap between the community and the police force to address uh, problems that the communities may face. That's the idea. The violent um, Crime Control and Law Enforcement Act of 1994 was presented as a method uh, by which law enforcement agencies would be able to handle and prevent crime. Now, it set forth immense funding for prisons and crime prevention programs and was also notable for several significant changes in U.S. policy. As we know, um, right around this time, the prison population just exploded. The federal assault weapons ban prohibited the manufacturing of 19 different kinds of assault weapons, also included the legislation that was the Federal Death Penalty Act, which expanded the crimes for which the death penalty could be applied. 
uh, yeah, I remember growing up in Texas around this time, they were executing people like almost every week. Hmm. Um, uh, like it was like on the news every night, you like were completely blase. We executed blah, blah, blah tonight. The Violence Against Women Act set aside funding for investigating and preventing gendered violence in the U.S. But that wasn't all that cops did, right? Yes. No, it was not. Um, perhaps the most famous impact of COPS um, was the proposal to introduce 100,000 more police officers into the force. Uh, former President Clinton listed this as a primary reason to support um, the founding of the organization as well as to pass the bill. Um, by 2005, the United States government Office of Accountability stated that cops had increased, excuse me, had led to the uh, increase uh, of 88,000 new police officers and suggested that um, these officers had led to a modest decline in crime in subsequent years. Um, so the primary effect on the U.S. police force of cops was size. Um, an increase from anywhere from 88,000 to 100,000 police officers dramatically shifted the dynamics of policing in America. Um, I think it's also important here to say that, um, you know, there has been uh, also at the same time as all of this has been going on, a, a de decrease in crime probably starting in the mid-70s, but actually documented from the mid-80s until now. Um, and there is not necessarily a correlation between a decrease in crime um, and the militarization of uh, police forces. Um, I mean, because that's, that's one, of the, one of the arguments that a lot of people make about here in New York, right? That, you know, in the mid-90s or so is when crime supposedly started to decrease and they always say oh it's because there were more cops on the street yeah um which you know was i would say <laughs> not i mean you were there <laughs> growing up um in new york yes um having lived here for the majority of my almost 40 years um in the 90s basically what happened was that uh the police force removed homeless people um, who are generally not the people that commit violent crimes, right? Um, you're more likely to be the victim of a violent crime committed by somebody than you that you know than uh, a random homeless person or person on the street um, who's not homeless. Um, so yeah, they removed homeless people and then also uh, implemented broken windows policing, which uh, later became known widely as stop and frisk. So just, um, you know, picking out people of color to target for no specific reason, stopping them, frisking them often, um, you know, in an, embar in an embarrassing um, and harassing way, and then criminalizing them. Right. Um, yeah. So I think also along um, with this legislation, uh, and the war on drugs, um, money formerly spent by the Pentagon to fight the Soviets, right, we can say then went to increasing um, the militarization of the police force. Right. And then we have the millennium and um, 
enter September 11th, the September 11th attacks, which were, I think, a pretty accurate harbinger of how the 21st century has played out uh, thus far. Yeah, and so that now you have an added thing that police have to do, because not only are they expected to be social workers and engaging on the war on drugs against American citizens and, you know, having to treat people who are sick, now they're also supposed to be counterterrorism uh, agents as well. After 9-11, police departments across the country, you know, started buying, you know, these military-grade weapons uh, regularly. And, you know, we, we all remember uh, when the Ferguson protests happened after the police murder of, of uh, Michael Brown, who was a teen, only a teenager at the time, the Ferguson Police Department used tanks, straight-up tanks, to quell the protests. I mean, the, the idea that you would use something like tanks and military-grade weapons against American citizens, I mean, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, um, it is incredible. It's also interesting, right, um, that the protests that have happened recently where, again, we've seen militarized police forces um, essentially treat American citizens like uh, we're living in uh, war zones, right, happened on the um, anniversary, one of the anniversaries of Tiananmen Square where the Chinese government used tanks <laughs> yeah. against Chinese citizens uh, in 1989. Um, Which so, Trump recently praised, and he said, well, you know, they knew how to control people. Like, he, he literally praised the Chinese government response to the Tiananmen Square massacre. I mean, that, that tells yeah. you kind of everything you need to know. Um, yeah, and it brings up the question, how does Trump fit into all of this with his love for the pomp and circumstance and the dog and pony show of military force? Um, he's planning on having another military 4th of July parade, uh, parade this year. Um, and what does that say about what's going to happen in November? I personally am of the opinion that what's happened over the last couple of weeks, um, and specifically what uh, Trump did yesterday with uh, accusing the elderly man who was attacked by uh, a military police unit in Buffalo, New York, of being a crisis actor, um, which is a little, uh, uh, a little, <laughs> nugget uh, to let you guys know what we're going to talk about last week, or excuse me, next week, uh, crisis actor. Um, yeah, so what does this say, right? I think that personally, um, this is kind of a dry run for November and what's going to come after. Can we say that the police have the right to use military tactics on American citizens? what happens when we deploy military policing units into American cities? Um, it's not just Trump, it's also his enablers in the GOP. Um, Tom Cotton uh, wrote an op-ed that the New York Times published arguing that the American military should be deployed into American cities. So not just the police, but the actual military. Right. Um, which led to the editor of the New York Times editorial board resigning. Um, so yeah, what does this say about what's coming in the future? 
Well, and I, I think one of the, you know, you're absolutely right. And I think one of the dangerous things about Trump is that mentally the guy is like five, you know? So he's, it's like he's playing with his action figures. Yeah. Like it's all a, it's all a game to him. Like, look how cool this jet plane is. Look how awesome I, I, you know, command this, the, the military, like, it's it's like he's playing with toys, but the reality is is that these toys could kill kill people, and he's 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 just not aware, or maybe he is aware of the power he wields, but he wields it so irresponsibly that um, you know I I think he's capable of anything, like when he when he imp- uh, said the other day that if governors didn't, you know, handle the protests that he was going to send in the military, I, I think he, I mean, a lot of my friends were like, oh, he's just making an idle threat to scare them. It's like, is he though? Like, would you put it past him? I think one of the, well, several really interesting things about Trump and um, the way that he's changed American politics are that um, he is very simplistic, right? He has a terrible vocabulary. Um, He never expresses any nuanced opinions or thoughts. Um, And I think that this is a tactic. Um, He, in my opinion, is is well aware of what he's doing. It's all very intentional, but um, acting like an idiot <laughs> basically, um, you know, creates a kind of dichotomy where people easily dismiss you, um, which I think was one of the things, you know, that happened leading up to the 2016 election. And we see it again now, right? Like, oh, he, you know, is doing such a terrible job. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He sounds like a moron. Um, people don't like him. Um, so, you know, there's no chance that he can win. He has no idea what he's talking about or doing. This is, in my opinion, very deliberate, right? Um, so all of this is also happening um, at the same time as we are removing troops from Germany ahead of the G7 meeting, um, which Putin was not uh, invited to, then it would have been a G8 meeting. We know Russia was kicked out of um the G8 after Crimea. Um, So yeah, removing troops from Germany um, also could create leverage to, again, increase the militarization of the American police force. Right. Yeah, I I don't know. Um, It's it's a really scary time to be living in, um, to see here in New York, to see um, police that are outfitted like soldiers you know yeah which of course is is another issue is the fact that a lot of our soldiers overseas don't have bulletproof vests or don't have proper equipment but our police do i mean what does that tell you you know yeah like like that's a very good point like i mean that's that's a notorious thing that our troops are not well equipped i mean they they, they do go fund me's to uh, to equip our but our police sure as hell look pretty well outfitted so i don't know raven I don't know. well i think 
Also, you know, another important thing to add before I don't have anything else to say <laughs> um, is that uh, Trump has threatened multiple times, right? I have the military, I have the police, I have the bikers, I have the gangs. Um, and if we can just take out the fact that why would a president uh, brag about having the support of bikers and gangs and what that says out of this for a second, um, we've seen over the last couple of weeks that police forces across the country are more than willing to use uh, extreme violence against American citizens um, in violation of a myriad of laws, uh, as well as, as we discussed last week, uh, the United States Constitution. Um, and, you know, uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't know. Um, it's, it is a, a very scary time. Well, if we're all here next week, we'll be back with another episode of All I Have to Say About That. Uh, you can, uh, once again, you can see us on uh, All I Have to Say About That podcast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can listen to our podcasts uh, wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. And, as, as all, and of course, you can read our blog on All I Have to Say About That dot net. So, Raven, that's all for this week. Thanks, guys. We'll talk to you next week. And Bye, Mr. Thomas. <laughs> goodbye, my dear. And that's all we have to say about that. Bye.